the third chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians, beginning in chapter in verse excuse me in verse one. I'll be reading that entire chapter. Please uh, give this your full attention, for it is the inspired word of the Lord uh, that we are reading. <clears throat> o foolish Galatians. Who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received ye the spirit of the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it yet be in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith, excuse me, the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Thus far the reading of God's word. A lot in there, obviously, we're not going to be able to cover in any stretch of the imagination all all that's packed in there, even if we got many, many sermons. I do want to point out, by the way, I uh, did a a translation here in in verse 26. The King James says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. The Greek word is dia there, which actually is more accurately translated through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, And the book of Galatians, by the way, also uh, you may remember me saying this before when we did a whole series on the book of Galatians that the book of Galatians often talks about how we are saved uh, by the faith of Christ we're not primarily saved by our faith we are primarily saved by the faith of Christ who sacrificed himself for us and it's our faith in him uh, that God uses faith as a gift as we, as we well know uh, a gift of God uh, not of works lest any man should boast you may have heard that we'll look at uh, Galatians uh, 10 and 11 particularly uh, if you recall two Lord's Days ago I preached uh, on the just shall live by faith which was Martin Luther's life verse we talked a lot about Luther uh, and here uh, now I preached from uh, the Romans uh, um, uh, citation of, of the just shall live by faith. Uh, this time uh, is Paul's citation of the uh, Paul writing the just shall live by faith on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse for it is written cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. We have to look at what this passage is saying very carefully. The Holy Spirit, and whenever we read the Bible, we know it's God speaking to us. Speaking, The Holy Spirit is speaking through Paul, is about to give us the meaning of Christ dying on the cross. Now, I'm sure you've often wondered, and many, most people do who look at this, if God is completely holy and good and loving and just, how could he allow his only son to suffer in agony and die? Many people ask that question. I mean, if it were you, wouldn't you do everything you could to stop it? Uh, even if it was a, a, a stranger's a son, much less your own son. Uh, a lot of people say, well, if that's what Christianity teaches, I don't want my, no part of it. I don't want any part of it. I can't believe in a God who would do that. Um, they, many people like to make up their own God as to, as to, and put their, their own idea of what God should be like and believe in that. Uh, but that's, uh, that's fantasy land. Uh, well, instead of shutting our eyes and prejudging what the Bible says, let's look at exactly what Christianity does teach, what the Bible does teach, I should say, about all this all-important subject, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross called the atonement. The atonement. There are, uh, in Paul's argument, he says the law is a seamless unit. You can't separate law and grace. Uh, 
Number two, the law had a critically important condition, and it's buried in a verse in Deuteronomy. Christ, while he was absolutely innocent, was still, if you recall me saying, and I remember Mary opening her eyes when I said this at the beginning of sermon once, Christ was the greatest sinner who ever lived. But he, he did not sin himself. But he took the sins of his people upon himself, all the sins of his people upon himself. So he, he wasn't a sinner in himself, but he took the sins of the people on himself. So he was absolutely innocent, but he became a transgressor of the law in the Father's eyes. So he became a transgressor of the whole law. God put our sins upon Christ and struck him instead of us. So let's look at that beginning in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now Paul is quoting a passage from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 27, uh, verse 26. It says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And the key word there is all. Uh, cursed be he that conf- confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. In other words, cursed be him that doesn't do everything in the law. And all the people shall say amen is the rest of that verse. Uh, James in the New Testament says the same thing in different words. In James chapter 2, verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend, or another translation is stumble, in one point he is guilty of all. So you could be the most perfect person other than Christ who ever lived, but if you had an impure thought, you'd be guilty of breaking the whole law of God. So obviously no one can can live a perfect life. In fact, uh, James goes on and says, you know, if you, if you say you're perfect, you're alive. Uh, excuse me, John said in his First uh, uh, John, uh, if you if you say you are, if anyone says he uh, is perfect, uh, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. Breaking a commandment of God, no matter how slight, is a sin, and the punishment for committing one sin is that you go to hell. Now, as harsh as that sounds to some people, it's what the Bible teaches. Romans 6.23, well-known verse, the wages, the punishment, in other words, the wages for sin is death. Of sin is death. There's nothing in the Bible that hints if you, uh, you only go to hell if you commit a real serious sin, uh, you know, a so-called mortal sin in some faiths. Or there's nothing in the Bible that says, well, if you commit a lot of sins, then you go to hell, but if you don't commit a whole lot of sins, you'll go to heaven. Uh, or if you die with unconfessed sins, then you'll go to hell. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Those ideas come from men, not from the Bible. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, uh, I'm sure you've heard this or expressed in so many words, well, I think that when you die that God piles up all the good things on one side of this giant scale and piles up all the bad things you've done and weighs it out, and, you know, you hope you get in. Of course, that's, that's the world's idea of what the Bible says. Of course, they don't bother to read it to find out what it says or bother to go to church, or at least a church that preaches what the Bible says. Uh, if you tell a little white lie, you're as guilty as Stalin or Mao or the worst person you can think of. The law is like a chain tying a boat to the shore. Okay, The boat is going to float away if you cut one of the links to the chain just as surely if you, if you cut them all. All it takes is one broken link. Please turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Mm -hmm. 
Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. When Jesus was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment of all? Verse 28, Mark 12. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all or the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. One Lord, excuse me. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Now, what was Jesus saying? A lot of people miss that. His answer to the question of what is the first or the greatest commandment is that the law is a seamless unit. Remember the context here, the Pharisees were teaching all these works righteousness things and they added so much to the law uh, and people were confused. And the law, of course, they're talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament was not, was not uh, written. Uh, so this is a, 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 apparently a believing Jew asking him, what's the greatest commandment? Well, we have all these commandments of the Pharisees and the, you know, all this. What, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus saying the answer is the first commandment is how we are to love God, which is summarized in the first table of the Ten Commandments. We call it the first table of the Ten Commandments. The first uh, several commandments are how we are to love God, uh, the first four commandments. And he says the second commandment is like or equal to it, namely the second table, the rest of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can't be separated. The law can't be separated. It's a seamless unit, a ch- unit, a chain. Uh, the person whom the world calls good breaks the commandment. We all break these commandments. But even the, the greatest person, that the, you know, think of what the world calls good. Mother Teresa comes to mind. Uh, of course, what we know about Mother Teresa likely she may not come to mind if you've read, read her parts of her diary. Uh, but even the... the we all never love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, do we? Uh, the most moral and upright person who's ever lived, if they were honest with themselves, would admit that. They've therefore broken God's law. Every one of us is a sinner in our hearts. We know that. Even unbelievers know that, as Scripture teaches in Romans 1, Romans 2. Our text says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Have you continued in all things to do all things written in the book of the law to do them? Can you, all, can you say yes? Of course not. If you're honest with you, neither can I. One thing we can all agree on, even those who reject the Bible, is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20, please. And God spake all, in the beginning of verse 1, God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which had brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
Yeah, probably have, we haven't probably we've broken that. We don't have a statue of uh, Moloch or Diana in our backyard that we pray to, do we? We don't have any other gods before God. Have you never loved anything more than God? Has there ever been anything in your life you couldn't live without? Have you never made a God of your lusts or of your business? Have you ever said, you know, I couldn't live without my husband. I couldn't live without my wife. I couldn't live without my children. I, you know, I, I can empathize with that. But thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God is not just something you bow down in front of and, and pray to. A God is anything in your heart that comes above the Lord. Could you, like Abraham, when the Lord says, take your only son and kill him? Would you say no? Thank the Lord we don't we aren't put in that position. But Abraham was. Do you think of there's something more mild than that? Do you think of him in every situation and give him thanks? Do you take pride in what you think are your own accomplishments? Do you trust in your riches for security? Do you think there's anything you can do to earn his approval? Do you love him more than your own life? Are you ever impatient? focused on what you want? Do you ever get mad because things don't go your way? Do you ever blame God for the troubles in your life? Why do people, why are other people have more money or more success or more fun in life or whatever it might be than you? you blame God for that? Or complain to God about it? Maybe you don't blame him, but complain to him about it? Do you credit luck or good fortune or yourself for good things in your life? Surely we, none of us can say we're guiltless. Here, we've broken that commandment. Let's go on. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto, excuse me, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments wow again we, we don't have any graven images do we will you say that you have never in your life imagined what God might look like Do you have a picture in your house that's supposed to be Christ? Or you ever worship in a church that has a picture of what's supposed to be Jesus? Usually kind of a long-haired, blue-eyed hippie. I don't think he looked like that. He was Semitic, remember. Uh, or statues. Or have you done anything in worship that's not commanded in God's Word? Ooh. What an, is that an image? Yeah, there's an image. Uh, and of course, some churches have statues and they bow down to them, and that's clearly image worship. But image worship, we have to get the idea, is a lot more than just having a stone or wood statue. Uh, it can be in our minds as well. Uh, I remember Dr. Greg Bonson once saying he thought that if, if photography had been invented, 
uh, at the time of Christ and we had a photograph of Christ, he said we should destroy that photograph because it will become an image, an icon, a, a holy relic. Uh, well, let's go on. Verse 7 of Exodus 20, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Gotcha. <laughs> Got every one of us. Of course we've taken the Lord's name in vain. Uh, even in conversation, we use the Lord's name, don't we, when we shouldn't use the Lord's name. Uh, can we say we've always hallowed his name, that we, we've never acted in church any differently than we act at home with our spouse or the rest of the week? But what about expanding that? Have we always read the word of God and heard his gospel with reverence and rapt attention? Hello? Have we ever misinterpreted and misapplied his word? That's taking his name in vain. In vain, meaning the, using it the wrong way. Okay? Using it without the proper results is taking his name in vain. It doesn't mean anything. Vain is vanity, is meaninglessness. So taking his name in vain is using it in a meaningless way, is one way to, 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 uh, to, to violate that, to break that law. Um, have we ever tried to pry into God's secret counsels? You know, you can only go so far with the with some of these doctrines. And uh, I've been emailing a fellow who's been listening on sermon audio about about the issue of predestination and and free will. And he, you know, he's pushing, pushing, pushing. And he told me, interestingly enough, in an email, he says he's in England. He said I, he said I've been thinking about this so much. He said I've been fighting with my wife more than more than normal. And he said I've been I've been. He said, I, I'm just irritable and I can't sleep. And I said, you're suffering the consequences of trying to push, prying into God's secret counsels. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're anti-intellectual and we shouldn't know things and clearly what Scripture teaches and go as far as Scripture we can. But you know, you'll suffer the consequences if you try to pry too far into God's secret counsels. You know, the nature, what is, I want to figure out the Trinity. Well, you can't because there's nothing on earth that is like the Trinity. We can have some examples, but anyway, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Um, have you ever been afraid to witness or even mention that you're a Christian out of fear that somebody wouldn't like you? Well, that's, that's, you know, that is a, a form of taking his name in vain. You claim to be a Christian, yet you won't go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, as Christ commanded. How about that fourth commandment, which relates to the keeping of the Sabbath? In verse 8, I believe. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day of the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, in it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. By the way, there's that. I'll make an aside here, but... Those who do not believe in six-day creation, I would like you, to, you know, the Lord created the world in, in six 24-hour days. I'd like you to explain that verse to me. As the Lord, let's see now, as the Lord, verse 11, for in six billion gazillion years, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all, and in the ears, and rested the seventh gazillion billion years. Wherefore, 
man should do the same. We should work for six gazillion billion years and rest for a gazillion billion years. Okay. It's just an aside. But have you ever broken the Sabbath day? Have you never omitted the duties God requires you on the Sabbath? Uh, we all have. We've all spent part of the day. I mean, he says it's, it's the Lord's day. It's not our day. That's, that's it's the name of it, the Lord's day. Okay. Uh, now, I, you know, is there a list of rules that we need to follow? No. Uh, but uh, we, we are to, to follow our conscience as instructed by the Bible as to what we are to do and not to do on the Lord's day. Okay. Now, there's a whole other subject, but I'll leave that alone. Uh, honor thy father and thy mother is the next. Verse 12, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Can you keep that? We were always dis- we were always obedient when you were a child. Uh, always spoken to your parents as you should. Always treated them with honor. That doesn't mean when you're an adult you do everything they tell you to do, but you treat them with honor. Uh, and father and mother in this commandment are met not only our natural parents but all superiors. Uh, Westminster uh, uh, Larger Catechism says all superiors in age and gifts and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or state. Can you say you've honored them? Can I say I've honored them with every fiber of my being? No, of course not. Quickly then, thou shalt not kill. Hopefully you've never murdered anyone, but you haven't been gluttonous, which will kill the body. Indulge laziness, which will kill the spirit. Have you neglected the study of God's word on a regular daily basis? Neglect going to, to church, fellowshipping with the saints, that'll kill your, your spirit. As I said many times, you, you don't forget to eat. If you didn't eat, what would happen to your body? The well, same thing that happens to your spirit if you don't eat spiritual food. It's going to wither up and become weak, uh, and uh, you'll be less and less inclined uh, to, to stay in God's word. Uh, so other questions, revenge against somebody, provoke somebody to anger, spoken harsh words against them, you're killing their spirit. Speaking harsh words to your spouse can kill their spirit. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, nobody's, we're not guilty of that, are we? No. Have you ever looked upon someone on an, in an impure way? You know, Remember what Lord Jesus Christ says, He that looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in, her, in his heart. Have you ever watched a movie or read a book or a magazine that maybe you wouldn't want to be watching or reading when the Lord returns? Have you ever told a joke you wouldn't tell your pastor? I have. <laughs> have you never stolen? Thou shalt not steal. Oh, no, yeah, I've never stolen. Well, have you ever, have you rendered everybody his just due? Have you never felt greed, betrayed a trust, dealt fraudulently in some way, sued somebody just to see what you could get? envied another's prosperity, done personal business on company time, um, took home a few incidentals from work that they'd never miss, not paid your tithe to the church or your, your free will offering. That's all stealing. Part of that's stealing from God. Of course, everything is stealing from God since he owns everything. And who dares to say he hasn't borne false witness against his neighbor? course we have. Have you ever shaded the truth when it's to your advantage? You say you've never told a lie your entire life or flattered someone and not really meaning it or boasted about what you've done or focused on others' faults. 
theater made excuses for your sins, entertained evil suspicions in your heart about someone, made en- been envious when somebody gets the credit that you rightfully deserve. Of course, who deserves that? The Lord deserves the credit, not you. Rejoiced when somebody stumbles and falls in favor, broken a promise, listened to or passed along gossip. Remember my definition of gossip. If you know this, you'll always recognize it when you see it. Gossip is confessing somebody else's sins. And who can we, you know, we can't say that we're, we're guiltless of the last you shall not covet. We've all desired to have more than what God has given us. And uh, we're guilty before God, every one of us. And God's word says, who shall ever shall keep the whole law and yet break it? At one point, he's guilty as all. But what hope is there? We're so guilty. There's no hope for us except one, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our hope. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that blessed hope. We have that hope as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, by the the which we draw nigh unto God, Scripture says. And every man that hath his hope in him purifies himself, even as Christ is pure. Pop quiz. Ready? You said there'd be no math. Okay, there's no math. Pop quiz. Do you need more faith? Why do I call it pop quiz? Because it's a very important question. If you get the wrong answer, the consequences are serious. I'll explain why in a few minutes. Do you need more faith? Think about that. Verse 11, Galatians 3, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Justified. Justified. Justified means, very simply, being declared innocent by God. Romans 3.28 says a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. There's a, a section here, but I, I'm, I'm going to save this for, for another time. Um, I will summarize part of this and then get to my conclusion. Whatever good things you've done in your life... They all have to do with the law. And the Bible says over and over again, that's not going to save you. That's not going to justify you. Doing good deeds, being a good person will not get you to heaven. If you think that will get you to heaven, you're on the wrong road. That road will get you to hell. Uh, You've heard me say it before. Good works are the result of our justification, not the cause. Is Is the apple the cause of the tree? No. The tree is the cause of the apple. The the justification is the tree. The apple is the fruit. The good works. The just shall live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall have faith, but live by faith. It doesn't say the just shall live by obedience to God. That's the road to spiritual death. We don't live by obedience to God. We live and are obedient to God, but we we, we, we don't get spiritual life from obedience to God. It also doesn't say everybody should live by faith. It says if the Lord meant everybody, he would have said everybody. But he says the just, those who have been justified, 
shall live by faith. And who are they? They've received Christ as their Savior. That's, that, those are the ones who have been justified. Romans 8.30, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. God has predestinated some to eternal life, Acts 13.48, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Ephesians 1.15, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the what we've done, it's not what the verse says, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why did God do it? Why did God pick some and not others? I don't know. Because of the good pleasure of his will. That's the only answer the Bible gives us. Pushing beyond that drive you nuts. For one thing, it was sinful. We're not to pry into that. The law means good works, obeying everything that's commanded in the Bible. The man that doeth them shall live in them. In other words, if you insist on staying on that road of good works, you'll have to live in goodness every moment of your life. That's impossible. Uh, you're under a curse. Galatians 3.10 says if you try that, everyone is under the works of the law or under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The life of the law is a life that requires perfect obedience. and I won't belabor that point. But the law can't give us eternal life. See, there are two circles with two centers, and they don't overlap in any way. If you're, looking, if you're living in the circle of legalism, of thinking you're going to get to heaven by obeying, you're not living in the circle of faith in Christ alone. Your center is in your own efforts. If you're living in the circle of faith in Christ alone, your center is Christ. To whichever you commit yourself, that's your circle of living. Let me finish up with with this. Paul didn't write, the just shall live by the law, by their good works, the just shall live by faith. Faith is not just the knowledge of God. I mean, Cain had a knowledge of God. Uh, the, the, The demons have a knowledge of God. And they are terrified by it. Uh... Hebrews 1.11, we don't have to belabor this or tax our brains about it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One writer once said, if I remember this properly, um, faith gives me hope uh, in, in everything. Uh, I'm not getting it right. But, uh, oh, everything I've seen gives me hope for everything that I have not seen. Faith and hope go together, the same things that are the object of our hope and the object of our faith. Faith is a gift, as Ephesians 2.8 says. Um, In this verse, it's called a substance, a firm persuasion, an expectation God will perform all he has promised. Faith means believing in advance what will only be seen in reverse. Faith believes is seeing in advance, believing in advance what you're only going to see in reverse. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. 
The verse in Hebrews says us, tells us also that faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith demonstrates to the eye of the mind the reality of those things that can't be discerned by the eye of the body. It's through this mechanism of faith that the Holy Spirit testifies to our heart that the scriptures are true. So we get the gift of faith, and the Holy Spirit then works through that gift of faith, testifying to us that we, when we see the scriptures and read them, yes, this is true. We walk by faith, not by sight, God tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, too. Faith is the eyes of the soul. Faith is the eyes of the soul. And faith and hope go together just like faith and obedience. Charles Spurgeon said, Faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. I asked you if you need more faith. Well, the question is a litmus test. Ask somebody who says if they're, they're a Christian, do you need more faith? If they're a true follower of Christ, of course, their answer will be yes. Of course, you need more faith. You know in your heart that your faith is so weak. So weak. And all believers feel this way. If it was up to us to maintain our faith, we'd be tottering on the edge of hell at best. Thank the Lord it's not up to us to create faith within ourselves, that it is the most precious of gifts, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you want more faith? You have not, Scripture says, because ye ask not. Have you ever prayed for more faith? Simple prayer. More faith, Lord. More faith. Fill me with more faith. Fill me with overflowing faith. Beg Him. Plead for it. Constantly make it a permanent part of your regular prayers. For more faith. More faith. He loves to hear you pray that prayer. And he's very pleased to give it to you. Let's pray to him. Lord, we, we thank thee for the faith that thou hast given us. Father, we, we do believe, but Father, help us thou our unbelief. Fill us with more faith. Give us, put in our minds to remember to pray for more faith, Father both for us and for our, for our loved ones, for our families, for our children. Father, we thank Thee for Thy great love for us and sending Thy Son, Jesus Christ, unto us. For, the, for Thy Holy Spirit, for the light and liberty of the glorious gospel and the rich and heavenly blessings revealed therein. Father, uh, we just thank Thee, Lord, for the faith thou hast given us, give us more faith. Bless, bless the preaching of thy word to our soul, Father, that we may walk out of here resolved to serve thee more than we have ever done before. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, the Scottish Psalter, tune number... Excuse me, Psalm number 72 to the tune of Jackson and Elder Duell will do it.
the tune is Jackson. It goes like this. Psalm 72, the very end, verses 18 and 19. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel, for he alone doth wondrous works and glory that excel. All blessed be his glorious name to all eternity. The whole earth let his glory fill. Amen. So let it be. Let us stand and sing this together. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel, for he alone doth wondrous works in glory that excel. And blessed be his glorious name to all eternity. The whole earth let his glory fill. Amen, so let it be. And receive the benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. I will remind you that the uh, Lord's Supper is scheduled for December the